0: Thank you. Good morning. Little taste of Minnesota outside. You don't have a clue. <laughs> I want to thank John for mentioning about our time of prayer and fasting the first of the year. You said it well. Um, I would reiterate it 's not some special program or work that we do, not some legalistic thing it 's just a very simple coming before God in prayer at the first of the year and uh, you have a bulletin insert that John um, mentioned, and I would call i would uh, invite you to peruse it both sides, um, notes from last week's sermon about fasting and prayer. Uh, the key verse for both fasting and prayer and the sacred, sacred assembly is found in Joel chapter 1, verse 14. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the lord your god and cry out to the lord and as we've mentioned last week we talked about our call for 40 days of fasting and prayer january 2 to february 10th and that's all in preparation for what we're going to talk about this morning sunday february 11th we have called for a sacred assembly. And I know that this may be something new for many of us, or most of us, but they were common in the spiritual life of Israel. Sacred assemblies in the Old Testament were occasions, special occasions, for God's people collectively to worship Him, to repent of personal and corporate sin, to remember his special blessings on them and to anticipate future blessings. Sacred Assemblies for Israel included the Sabbath and seven other days of Sacred Assembly, including the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the first and eighth days of the Feast of Tabernacles. They were times for worship and sacrifice, feasting, and fasting. But what about the church today? Because we've called for a sacred assembly in February. Is there a need to call for a sacred assembly among God's people? The sacred assembly model is nevertheless. Excuse me, let me back up a second. Though not prescriptive in the sense that God commands that we call sacred assemblies, the sacred assembly model is nevertheless an opportunity for the church to take advantage of regular opportunities to come together to confess and repent of our corporate sin and to renew our relationship with the Lord. And there are two important ingredients of sacred assemblies that I want to briefly cover this morning in the beginning. And they are what is called mediatorial authority and identificational repentance. And I'm sure that for most of us, those are terms that we're not familiar with, but hear me out. First of all, mediatorial authority. The kings and priests in the Old Testament stood before, uh, stood for their people before God. They were the mediators between God and the people. And as the heart of the king went, so went the hearts of the people. God dealt with the country based primarily on the actions and the attitudes of the king. The king thus stood for the rest of the country before God. He was their mediatorial head. And when the king's heart was good, he led the country in obedience to God's commands. But when the king's heart was bad and evil, he led the people in disobedience to God's command. For example, during the divided kingdom, Israel, which was the northern kingdom, had 19 kings. Every single one of the 19 kings was evil and did evil. We'd call them bad. And God disciplined them by allowing Assyria to invade and destroy their kingdom in 722 BC. The southern kingdom, on the other hand, had 20 kings, not all evil. In fact, eight of them were good kings. And that kingdom lasted an additional 136 years before God allowed Babylon to invade, destroy, and take these people into exile. The high priest likewise stood mediatorially on behalf of the congregation before God in religious things. On Yom Kippur, he would enter the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people, one man on behalf of all and offer a sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. However, Jesus, by his sacrifice on the cross, became the single mediator between God and all humans when it comes to salvation. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is only one God and one mediator, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus stands on our behalf before God. Without his mediation, I would like to call our chances toast. Um, Without the mediation, um, between Jesus and his Father God. Today all believers are priests. First Timothy Peter two nine, for you are a chosen people, you are a royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness and into His wonderful light. We don't need any other mediator besides Jesus Christ for our salvation. We can go directly to God. No other sacrifice or mediator is needed. However, having said that, Those in spiritual leadership over the church, and that would be pastors and elders, can represent the corporate body and speak for them before God and man. Hebrews chapter 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. As goes the king, so goes the country. As goes church leadership, so goes the church. And when the leadership of the church discovers the things that Jesus has been communicating to the church, they are in a role and a position to do something about it. They can act on behalf of the congregation and deal with the corporate issues and address historical problems. These may entail wounds caused by former pastors, boards, splits, power plays, doctrinal problems, unresolved corporate conflict, moral issues, and the list goes on and on. A key aspect of God-given authority and a spiritual, is a spiritual leader's ability to stand as a mediator on behalf of those over whom he has charge. This mediatorial authority enables spiritual leaders, both pastoral and lay leaders, to act on behalf of the congregation to fix things at a corporate level. Ken Quick, in a book that we've been reading as elders and as transition team, says, somehow. The church leadership has to figure out what God has been trying to teach the corporate body of the local church. Then it can use its God-given ability to judge how best to, to solve the corporate problem. For the past nine months, the transition team that you've heard about, and we've given you some updates as a congregational updates has been commissioned to do just that, to review Grace Chapel's corporate health history, to identify patterns of corporate blessings and pain, to diagnose corporate root causes, and to assist the elders in the corporate healing process. Ken Quick writes, God does not let much happen corporately until wrong things are righted and wounds receive attention. As God's people, we have a choice. We can either see the pending danger and return to the Lord before He brings judgment, or we can wait until the disasters to cry out for mercy and repent. Healthy Church leadership chooses the former. They see the pending danger and call the Church to confess, repent before the Lord brings judgment, They take the first step and stand before God on our behalf with their mediatorial role. Another essential ingredient of a sacred assembly is what we call identificational repentance. In identificational repentance, leadership recognizes how they identify or are identified with the perpetrators of an injustice or injury. Because they are identified with him or them, he can stand in their place and shoulder the responsibility that they never did. By so doing, they can enable people to release the pain and anger that they may have internalized, help them to extend forgiveness, and most important, to experience reconciliation. A number of people may stand before you on behalf of various aspects of church ministry at our Sacred Assembly and ask for forgiveness. An opportunity at the Sacred Assembly will be given for congregational response. When we were doing the One Another series a few weeks ago, We quoted James 5.16 when we talked about confessing our sins to one another. And James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I want to take you to a passage of scripture. We're going to read it. And it's a little long, but I want you to see the process and action from the scripture. And it's found in Second Chronicles chapter six. It'll be on the screen, but you may want to turn to it in your own Bible. It's a great example of a sacred assembly found in the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles. The context is the ded- dedication of Solomon's temple. And Solomon, Solomon the King um, is on his knees with his hands raised to God in heaven. So picture that, and we've kind of tried to illustrate it with the background of of the, the text. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. And he stood on the platform and then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and he said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hands you have fulfilled fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, Keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law, as you have done. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Yet, Lord, my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and this plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open, this temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name here. May you hear the prayer. Your servant prays toward this place. Hear the prayer of your servant and of your people, Israel. And when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. When anyone wrongs their neighbor and is required to take an oath, and they come and swear the oath before your temple on the uh, before the, your altar on this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty, and bringing forth on their heads what they have done, vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. And when your people, Israel, have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land you gave to them and their ancestors. And when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. And when famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locust, or grasshoppers, or when enemies besiege them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or de- disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of their afflictions and pains and spreading out their hands toward the temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know the human heart, so that you will fear you and walk in obedience to you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors. And as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this temple then hear from heaven your dwelling place do whatever the foreigner ask of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as you do your own people israel and may know that this house i have built bears your name and when your people go to war against their enemies wherever you send them And when they pray to you toward this city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. And when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near. And if they have a change of heart, and the land where they are held captive, and repent and plead with you in their behalf, in their land of their captivity, and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been taken, where they were taken, and pray toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, Your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas, and uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Now arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priest, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to David, your servant. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, then, is God's response to this prayer of Solomon. When Solomon finished praying, FIRE CAME DOWN FROM HEAVEN AND CONSUMED THE BURNT OFFERING AND THE SACRIFICES, AND THE GLORY OF THE LORD FILLED THE TEMPLE, AND THE PRIEST COULD NOT ENTER THE TEMPLE OF THE LORD BECAUSE THE GLORY OF THE LORD FILLED IT. VERSES 2-10, to THE RESPONSE OF THE PEOPLE TO THE PRESENCE OF THE LORD. WHEN ALL THE ISRAELITES SAW THE FIRE COMING DOWN AND THE GLORY OF THE LORD ABOVE THE TEMPLE, They knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of, hear this, 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. That's more than a Volkswagen. So the king and all the people dedicated to the the temple of God. The priests took their positions as did the Levites with the Lord's musical instruments, with, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord, which were used when he gave thanks, saying his love endures forever. And opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets and all the Israelites were standing and Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard, in front of the temple of the Lord. And there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings and the fat offerings. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days and all Israel with him, a vast majority assembly. On that eighth day, they held an assembly for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival for seven days more. And on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people Israel. And after this sacred assembly was over and the people had returned to their homes, the Lord responded to King Solomon. God said to Solomon, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. And these next words you're familiar with. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And as for you, if you walk before me faithfully, as David your father did, and do all I command, and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away, and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword, and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble, and all who pass by will be appalled and say, what has the, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster upon them. Similarly, the prophet Joel said, declare a fast call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. A word of caution um, from Ken Quick in his book Healing the Heart of Your Church and this is very important He said, never do something like this for effect or to manipulate your church. Only do this from a broken, honest heart. Only then will it have the greatest lasting impact. On the other hand, I have come to believe that when you address the corporate issues that are on the heart of Christ, you get a lot of divine support Mountains begin to move. Second word of caution. It'd be easy as church leaders to say, we had nothing to do with those things. We are not responsible for those sins. How can we confess them honestly? Present, um, Ken Quick said, present enlightenment and even present innocence does not release leaders from responsibility for the sins committed by previous generations of spiritual leaders. Those former leaders never took the responsibility for their sin, and the sin remains unless we take responsibility for it. We wear their mantle. The guilt of their sin remains before God and comes out in congregational pain, suspicion, and reactivity. We stand in their place now and have a choice. God waits for us to own the sin because we are a part of the stream of leadership that has flowed from that time. The good news is God says we can do something about it and help heal the heart of the church. If we have the moral courage, it is a choice though. We can say no. However, the sin and the congregational pan the pain remains. And I draw our attention as we wrap this up to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And I share it, even though the context is Second Chronicles and the context is the dedication of the temple and God making his con- commitment to the people of Israel, I still think this has an appropriate application for Grace Chapel in 2017 going into 2018 that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Is there any of us here at Grace Chapel this morning that does not want that to happen? Well, the paths that we've chosen and they're man-made paths, but we seek God's blessing, are two. 40 days of fasting and prayer, January 2nd to February 10th, and a sacred assembly, Sunday, February 11th. Well, Sherry and I will be leaving this afternoon for Minnesota, where it's really winter, um, we'll be thinking about you as you celebrate Christmas together here at Grace Chapel. We'll miss um, all the announcements about what's gonna happen the next couple of weeks. It makes us jealous. I wish that Sherry and I could participate with you. Um, we will return, return January 1st so that we can be part of the um, fasting and prayer on January second. Father, I pray that um, you would move, continue to move among us here at Grace Chapel that you said if my people um, would return to you and confess a sin um, that you would um, heal our sin, forgive our sin and that you would reestablish us and I pray that for Grace Chapel where some of us, most of us, if not all of us, if not all of us, are tired of the past and want to move on to the future. We, take, we pray that we'll be bold enough to take the appropriate steps of transition so that we can heal our past and experience the joy of a future. That's a, it, it's a path, a plan, a pathway that we didn't know was there. There's a new day, a new opportunity, new excitement for the future of this church, of these people. We would continue, Father, that we ask that we we continue to ask that uh, we whatever sins of the past that need to be confessed corporately and individually, that we would get on with that, so that we could take the steps with a new vision for a new plan, a new path that you've laid out for us, that you will make clear to us so that we can see great days ahead, days that Grace Chapel may never have experienced before, powerful days, and these last days, perhaps, before your return and bring your people, all your remaining people that love you as a personal savior to heaven, where we can rejoice together in heaven. We look forward to that day, but until then we repent, We confess our sins. We receive mercy so that we can have the joy that comes from a pure life. In Jesus' name, amen.